guess. Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry. This is episode number 78 as we inch closer to that coveted 100 episode mark. Joining me today and unfortunately joining me for the next two episodes as well, I got my good friend William Richard, a.k.a. NASCAR Opinion. How are you doing today, bud? Uh, I love the unfortunately part. I figured me coming on might actually make the show legit for the next week and a half. So yeah, uh, you're gonna. We always have legit. we always have fun. Me and you talk way more and way longer conversations in this podcast. But uh, we'll, we'll try to keep it professional and talk a little bit of racing today. As we used to say, and ask about the nonsense. We'll make it a short episode, and then it turns <laughs> into two hours. <laughs> yeah. All right. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about Daniel Ricardo getting booted from McLaren. We'll be talking about the news that dropped today that Kurt Busch will miss the playoffs and surrender his waiver. And then we'll be giving you guys our top five drivers that could stun the playoff field at Daytona this week. But let's get started by talking about Daniel Ricciardo. And listen, it's been no secret that Daniel Ricciardo's time in McLaren has been, you know, tumultuous to say the least. Yeah, he did win for McLaren back in Monza last year. But other than that, I mean, people were expecting this combination to be a potential championship winning, you know, combination if McLaren could get the regulations right. But Ricardo, he's beginning destroyed by his teammate Lando Norris. This year, I don't even think he has 20 points on the season. So I know you're not an F1 guy, but you got to have had heard from this at some point. You know, let me get your point. Let me get your opinion on this. How much did you know about Daniel Ricardo before he moved to McLaren compared to now? Maybe you got a perspective on, you know, an outsider perspective on how much his, you know, stock has dropped compared to where it was before. Well, I've this year's probably been the most F1 races I've watched. And by that, it's probably been two and a half to three races. I don't I don't really keep up with F1. Or I keep up with who wins and stuff. Like I'll, I'll see it on Twitter and all that. But I don't, you know, very rarely will you see me just sitting at the TV and watching. Unless there's nothing else to do on a Sunday morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, perfect time. Hey, let's turn on the race. But anyways, uh, you know, I knew Ricardo, obviously, when he was with the Red Bull. And, uh, you know, it seemed like he was an upper echelon talent, like a top three, four, five driver in the series. It kind of, for me to have known your name, you had to have been doing something because still to this day, if you run in the back of the pack, I very rarely know your name. Um, and me and you've actually had many conversations about, you know, did it make a lot of sense for him to leave Red Bull in the argument, the pros and cons for it about you were never going to be the number one with Max Verstappen being there. But you've now risked what has happened now, which is you kind of fall into this tunnel of irrelevancy. And I've listened to a couple of races and you don't even hear Ricardo's name mentioned. Um, he's nowhere near the front. He's not a talking point of the race. There's no storylines involving him. And then now we're a couple of years down the road and here we are. And he's on the verge of not even having an F1 career moving forward. So um, Ricardo seemed to be a cool guy. I know he's an NASCAR fan, so obviously the bias in me. I wish he'd come dabble in that. But from an F1 perspective, it seems like really the last two, three years, he's fallen from being really considered a big talent that maybe could fall into a championship one day if the cards fall right and battle with his teammate Max Verstappen to a guy that, again, is now on the verge of we may never see him in an F1 ride again, uh, obviously with the news that's come out that he is has been removed from McLaren's F1 lineup. And just to show how bad Daniel Ricciardo's season has been so far, I've talked about it ad nauseum. I think I even had an episode about it a week or two ago. But currently on the season, he only has 19 points, is 12th in the standings, and currently has his worst average finish since, since 2013 with a 12.2 average finish. 
So Daniel Ricardo's season, that's just really his entire time with McLaren, has just not been up to par. And it's a shame, too, because if you look at the season before he joined McLaren at Renault in 2020, he had two podiums, finished fifth in the standings, and had a 7.5 average finish, which was his best average finish since 2016. So, I mean, maybe you could – what do you think about this? Again, I know you're not really an F1 guy, but can you find some kind of comparison as to see, you know, a driver go from these highs to such lows in the span of not even two years? Uh, I mean, I think you could – you could argue in the NASCAR world kind of like a Matt Kenseth, but Kenseth was a different situation. He'd been in the sport for, you know, 15-plus years. Uh, the contract just wasn't going to get re-upped with the amount of money that he wanted. And then all of a sudden, you see him go to Roush, and they just don't have the equipment, and he's falling off the map, and he's running 22nd every week, and that's a good day. Um, you know, I think the, the, the thing that I'm most curious about is it's just trying to pinpoint what has created this situation. And I don't know if it's like a confidence thing. I don't know if once Daniel knew that Red Bull was in the rear view that maybe his confidence of a driver fell or maybe, you know, maybe he had too much confidence going in thinking that he wasn't going to have to really make up for the lack of equipment that McLaren had at the time. Um, and then they thought it was just going to be easier than it was. I, you know, I really don't know, but it feels like a driver that Red Bull was where he originally thought he was always going to be. Verstappen goes, now you can answer this for me. Was, was Ricardo at Red Bull before Verstappen? Yeah, Ricardo's first year of Red Bull was 2014. Verstappen didn't so, get the Red Bull to 16. So, it, you know, to me, it sounds like it could be a situation where I think Ricardo at one point thought he was going to be the guy. Um, who was Ricardo originally with? Was Vettel still there? His teammate was Vettel in 14, and then from 15 to the half point of 16, it was Kafiat. So, at one point, it looked like Ricardo was going to be the guy for Red Bull. Then all of a sudden Verstappen comes in. He becomes that guy. And me and you've had conversations all outside of a podcast. Max Verstappen could potentially put his name in the all-time ranks if he stays at the pace that he is at right now. Now, obviously, I know rules change and all that throughout the years, but Max Verstappen is becoming an elite-level Formula One talent. And Ricardo sees what he wants to be, sees that opportunity pretty much taken away from him. Verstappen immediately starts outperforming. And all of a sudden, now we're here. He's out. They want to go a different direction. Or either Daniel said, I want to go a different direction because maybe maybe he thought, you know what, I'll never reach what I want to reach here at Red Bull, so I'm going to look elsewhere. And all of a sudden now, you know, his confidence is probably shot as a driver because he saw pretty much his dream get taken from him because he knows you're not going to go from Red Bull to McLaren and all of a sudden become a championship driver. You're not going to all of a sudden outbeat Mercedes and Red Bull. Now you're throwing Ferrari, who was down originally. Now they're up. I mean – Reality eventually hits you that you were you were feet away from being that guy. That team felt something different, and now you're making a different decision because you know that's no longer going to happen. So if you're Daniel Ricardo at this point, I mean, what do you do? I mean, Daniel well, has options. I mean, there's rumors he could go back to Alpine, who used to be Renault. There's rumors he could go to Haas or Williams. But at this point, like, well, I'm going to ask you two questions. Number one, where do you see Daniel going? Number two, do you think we even see the Daniel Ricciardo of old again? Well, the odds are I'm sure he's going to go back to Formula One somewhere. I mean, I think people have said – I don't keep up with their interviews, but I think people have said – I mean, he wants to be an F1. I know he's an NASCAR fan. I know there's some NASCAR teams, especially with the Project 91 deal that Justin Marks is running. You know, there could maybe be an open door down the road for that. Um, you know, people – I think you mentioned at one point McLaren could always try to put him in an Indy car. I think if you're Daniel Ricardo, you have to look yourself in the mirror and really draw out what you want your next five years to look like because 
he, I'm sure he could come back to F1 for a smaller team, even though I don't know how many seats are really left open at this point. Um, you know, I, I'm sure maybe you could work a deal with the team somewhere, but you're going to be running probably even worse than you are now. So now you're going to go from running 12th in the points to being, you know, 16th in the points. Are you really willing to risk even more of your reputation to do that? Or do you take advantage of still having a name? I mean, the name Daniel Ricardo still moves – moves waves a little bit you know that would be huge if they said you know what he's gonna go full-time IndyCar or he's gonna go run for the Indy 500 next year I mean even you know even a casual guy like me well that's pretty interesting you know I want to see what Daniel Ricardo can do in IndyCar obviously becomes an NASCAR and runs you know two three road courses makes one start period that's intriguing we're all going to be in tune for it. we're all going to be excited to see it so I think if you're Ricardo you have to kind of draw the line you know, if F1 is your true passion and that is all you see yourself doing, then by all means, go pursue that. But at the risk of, again, you'll probably be out of the sport in three or four years. Your your, your name and your legacy are pretty much shot. And not they, probably, they may already be, but, you know, there, there's no going up from here. At least if you look at IndyCar and Ashcar, like you're starting to build a rapport. You're starting to build a resume. People are going to start looking at you as an internationally known driver that tried multiple disciplines, whether you have success or not. So I think for him, you got to just look at like, you know, what's your true passion? Do you just want to race and try different things? Because right now he has a big enough name that he could pretty much go try anything he wants because his name carries that kind of weight. But if you sit around and wait another four or five years in, in, in Formula One, what are you going to be by 2030? Are you going are, are to matter anymore or are you just going to be a washed up Formula One driver? And he's not getting any younger. In fact, this is his, this is going to be his age 33 season in F1. So, I mean, we wish Daniel the best of luck. Hopefully he lands somewhere on the street. Can you say but... this? Just to add, I know Formula One drivers make a lot of money. It's not like he's struggling for money. He's been, running for, he's been running for multi, you know, seven, eight years in Formula One. I'm sure he has stacked some cash to the side. So, if I'm him, I go have some fun. You know what? F1, my, my, my ultimate dreams that didn't quite pan out. Red Bull, you know, maybe he looks back and says maybe he should have stayed at Red Bull because we've even seen the second Red Bull still has winning speed and able to win races. You're not going to necessarily beat Verstappen for the title. Verstappen is going to win more races, but at least you'd be in the conversation. I mean, he'd most likely be top five or six in points right now. He might even be in the discussion to, to be a sneaky championship pick, but he, he made decisions down the road that led him to where he's at now. And if I'm him, I go out here. You know, I've only got three or four more years in my peak years to go race. I go have a little bit of fun, go try some different disciplines and just enjoy what you were able to build in your first, you know, six or seven years. I like that, too. I'd love to see Daniel in an Indy car, maybe even compete in a race like the Rolex 24. Hell, I mean, the Project 91 car. Imagine Daniel Ricardo in the Project 91 car. It would be awesome. It would. Speaking of drivers going to be out of the seat, though, this driver, he's going to be out of the seat for potentially the rest of the year, though that's still not confirmed. It was announced earlier this morning that Kurt Busch, not only will he miss the playoff opener at Darlington, along with missing, obviously, this Saturday night's race at Daytona, but the team, sus the team suspended their playoff waiver. So now we have two spots open in the playoffs, and Kurt Busch will not be one of the 16 drivers competing for a championship. First of all, let's talk about what this means for Kurt Busch. I mean, have we seen a driver or a team just take out their playoff waiver ever? No, this is – I'm pretty sure this is the first time ever. 
Jeff Gluck and Jordan Bianchi mentioned it first, literally right after Watkins went on Sunday. It didn't drop to like, or I didn't listen to it to Monday with their uh, the Teardown podcast. They were the first people to mention that this could be a wild card possibility. He's not going to be cleared for Darlington, you know, or, or any may again. We don't even know he could be out the rest of the year. But at that point, they said it's you know it's a very real possibility he's not going to be cleared for Darlington. What do you do if you're the 45 team? Now, obviously, even if you miss Darlington, you would still have two more races. You could still somehow either score enough points or, you know, luck into a win in those two starts and still transfer in the playoffs. But they were the first to mention a possibility of the 45 team pulling their eligibility with that waiver. And I think for Kurt, what you really have to watch is I think people know that next year is most likely Kirk's last year, or at least it was before this happened. Um, this is the same situation that catapulted Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s retirement. Junior probably would have ran another two or three seasons if he did not have concussion issues. And I, I, for one, it shows you the severity of concussions where, you know, we still look at hits today and we don't even think about them. Like I, I looked at Kurt Busch's hit and qualifying that caused this at Pocono, and it was like, yeah, that was a hard hit, but I would have never imagined this would, this would lead to two months out of the car, you know, now not going to be in the playoffs. Um, and you never know. I mean, there's 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 some speculation that you know, maybe this is what it takes to get Kurt out of the car full time. I mean, maybe maybe this is the the draw that you know the line in the sand that Kurt says it's time to roll. I appreciate it. I'll still play a role at twenty three eleven, but I'm not going to be a driver anymore. We we really don't know, but definitely the first time we've seen this happen. Um, and I mean, it, I don't know. It kind of. It's, it's kind of shocking because you look at it from a 40 – it's got to be something where they know he's not going to be ready for the next month because for the 45 team, you have nothing to gain from not being in the playoffs. You know, you can sit there and argue, oh, where well, they were trying to help Toyota this. That that has nothing because there, there was no – it still doesn't really help Toyota. You can't guarantee that Truex is all of a sudden going to now make the playoffs just because Kurt is, 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 is out. You know, if it was one of those deals where – you know, Martin would make the playoffs if the 45 pulled out, then I could see, okay, they really kind of urge this team, listen, Kurt's not going to be around in the month. What's the likelihood of him really, you know, if he makes one start in the round of the first round, I highly doubt he's going to transfer. We could get Martin in if he pulls that, but that's not the situation. So, you know, I don't know what sparked it. They've got to know something's going on. And I respect Kurt Busch with what he said. I, I just I, I just skimmed over the tweet, but it was pretty much – you know, I have so much respect for NASCAR and its competition and its competitors. I don't feel like it's right that I take off a playoff spot when I know I cannot compete 100% for the championship. And I respect that 100%. Makes me gain even more respect for Kurt Busch. And I think both of us really and everybody, I mean, we just hope he gets back healthy. You know, uh, we hope this is not it. You know, if this ends up being the last year or whatever, I hope we get to see him back in the race car before the season ends. No, I agree with you on that. I want to ask you a question, which we talked about it before we went on air a couple hours ago, but there are some people, myself included at the time, obviously you explained it to me and I've changed my mind, but, you know, people might think that, oh, now there's two spots open left in the playoffs that the hype, the anticipation of, you know, only one spot available now is pretty much gone. Daytona's not going to be as grandeur as it might have would have. Can you explain to everybody how that is not the case and then the fact the scenarios don't really even change that much. Right. They. I had to talk you off of a ledge earlier because you have been so hype about Daytona since the three weeks ago when I finally made you buy your ticket 
<laughs> and, you know, you were like, man, this kind of sucks. I'm like, well, why? It, it's the same situation that we had, except Blaney can breathe a tad bit better and Truex has a little bit wider window. That's literally the only thing that has changed. Um, you know, neither one, Blaney or Truex, is locked in. Now, I'm under the impression I would put Ryan Blaney in. I just don't have a feeling that Ryan Blaney – he has a 25-point gap on Martin Truex right now heading into Daytona. I just personally don't think that Truex is going to gain those 25 points. It's very possible he could he could win both stages like he did. Like you have reminded me many times, he did. He won both stages of the Daytona 500 in February. Blaney could be in the back of the pack. I mean, and then all of a sudden you're talking about a four- or five-point gap. Very easily could happen. I just don't foresee it happening. Um, so in my eyes, I go ahead and put Blaney in. The only thing that changes is that Truex is the last guy in instead of Blaney necessarily being the last guy in again, because my eyes, I put Blaney in. I don't think he's going to blow that big of a points lead. That's all that changes. You still have easy room for Bubba Wallace could go win the race. You know, Cole Custer could go win the race. Harrison Burton, someone shocking could go win the race at Daytona and the same situation is going to happen that we've been building up to. There is still one must-win spot available for, for it to happen. Somebody's going to point their way in either between Blaney or Truex, and there is still one must-win spot available. Before Kurt Busch announced he was out, there was one must-win spot still available. So the situation is still the same. It's just now it's more beneficial for Truex and Blaney than it was originally. One of those two is guaranteed a spot in between Blaney and Truex. Whoever points their way better, again, I think it's Blaney. And then Truex doesn't necessarily have to win to make the playoffs now. We've talked about it. I mean, how many times have we been hyped for these races and then someone like Joey Logano wins the race? If a Joey Logano or a Chase Elliott or Denny Hamlin goes out and wins the race, then both of them get in. That's all that changes. Um, obviously, I'm hoping for chaos. I hope you get to see chaos. I'll be at a dirt track on Saturday night unless weather plays uh, otherwise. I hope but, I don't get uh, to see rain. Right. Um, I would be fine with a Sunday race. You would not necessarily. But uh, – but, yeah, it's the same situation. So, anybody that is losing, oh, man, this killed the – it is the exact same hype as it should have been before Kurt Busch made the announcement because you could still have someone like Eric Jones stun the field and he's in the playoffs. And that's the same situation that was going to unfold before Kurt Busch's eligibility and after Kurt Busch's eligibility. Do you think that now that Truex – there's two spots open and Truex obviously has one of those spots. Do you think now that him and that entire 19 team, do they have to change how – they're going to attack this race or is it the same as if there was only one spot available and they were on the outside looking in? I think it's the same because not only are they the second guy in the point situation, if they were Blaney and they had that cushion, they would breathe a lot easier. I think they'd really try to work hard, get a couple of stage points further that cushion. And then maybe we kind of relax the rest of the day. We'll make a hard charge at the end. If we can avoid the wreck, we'll see what happens. But no matter what happens, it tends to happen every time we go to Daytona or Talladega. There is going to be a wild card up front at the end of the race that is could potentially rattle the playoff field. One of these guys that we have, I think, I think we counted the other, there's 13 drivers that could win and completely rattle the playoffs. One of those guys is going to be up front at the end, at least one. It may only be one, but at least one, if not two or three, are going to be around at the end. Truex still has to worry about them because, again, I don't think he's going to catch Blaney in points. Very easily could happen. I don't think it does happen, though. So Truex still has to worry about being up front. He still can't necessarily go out and just finish 30th um, because if he does want to play a role in the finish, he's going to have to be up front. 
Um, if he either needs to be up front leading where he can kind of control his own destiny from the front's perspective, or he may end up in a situation where let's say you've got someone like a Ricky Stenhouse Jr. that is battling for the win and you have the chance to either Stenhouse or win, or you can go push another car like a Logano, even if it's someone you don't get along with, you have the chance to push them to victory lane, which gets you in the playoffs. Um, so I think he still has to worry about it because the same level of danger that existed before still exists. There is a little bit more of a cushion, but it is still a very real possibility that at the end of Saturday night or Sunday or whenever this race gets ran, ran that there will be a first-time winner on the season in victory lane, and that will still come up with the same result for Truex. He might breathe 2% easier, but he is still not guaranteed a spot by any means. Speaking of one of the surprise winners, we're going to move on now to – so, as we mentioned, there's 13 drivers that – could shake up the entire playoff picture. With that being said, we are going to take five of those drivers and we're going to rank the top five drivers that we think could truly just shake up this entire playoff picture. These five drivers are obviously, well, besides Truex now, pretty much everyone is in a must-win situation. And these are the five that we think can really just blow it all up. These are the five drivers that we think are going to make Truex rest uneasy, you know, for the next two nights. So, I got my list ready. I hope you got your list ready. So with that, without further ado, we'll begin. I'll let you start off with your list first, and we'll start with number five. All right, you want to do one at a time? Yep. All right, number five for me is Justin Haley. Um, Justin made a reputation in the Xfinity Series for plate racing. Um, being at the right place at the right time, his one-cup win, even though it was rain-shortened, was at Daytona. Played, played the right strategy. Things tend to just fall in his lap sometimes. Uh, and that's one reason I've not been very high on Justin Haley over the years. But he does have a tendency to run well at plate races. The other thing, now I would have boosted him up a little bit higher if A.J. Allmendinger was in the 16 car because those two have run a lot of races together. Unfortunately, Daniel Hemrick is in the 16 car this week, so I don't necessarily know if that's a huge advantage to Justin Haley. I'm sure that's going to be Daniel Hemrick's goal is to help push that 31 to the front, but I would feel more comfortable if it was like an A.J. Allmendinger. They've worked together a ton. Allmendinger's a veteran. Would have been fun to see that. Uh, but Justin Haley, for me, just from you know past reputation at plate tracks, he's got three or four plate wins in the Xfinity Series. I think you have to at least mention him on this list. Justin Haley, if I had to put him on a list, I'd probably put him at number six. He'd probably be my honorable mention. I actually kind of want to put Haley on this list, but there's just other guys. Number five, in my opinion, just slightly edges out Justin Haley. Number five on my list, I'm going to give it to Michael McDowell. Listen, just putting to a side that this is technically his career year, here's some of his statistics at play tracks so far this year. Seventh in the Daytona 500. Yeah, he finished 24th in Atlanta, but, you know, he's probably running up front. Then he finished top 10 again at Talladega. 15th at Atlanta the second time we came around. So he's got two top 10s. He got a top 15 in there. So Michael McDowell, you know, forgetting the fact he already won the Daytona 500 last year, he's a very good plate racer. He's having the most amount of speed he's ever had in that number 34 car. And I don't see why he couldn't be in the mix of Daytona again. So Michael McDowell, he's had a lot of success so far this year, especially on play tracks. So he lands on number five on my list. Yep, number four for me, I actually, for whatever reason, I did not write McDowell down on any of my eligible drivers for whatever reason. I wrote my 12 drivers at a 13. So originally I had Austin Dillon in fourth, but I actually like where you're going. I'm going to put McDowell fourth on this list. 
because of the same pretty much reasons you had. He's had that speed all year long. It's been really, really fast. Um, you know, I, I, the only thing that could make me a little weary about them is Todd Gilliland, his teammate, is in the same situation. Gilliland needs to win to make the playoffs. So that's the only thing that makes me a little bit nervous is is McDowell's going to have that help have to have that help from somewhere. But most of the Fords are looking to win. Blaney needs to win. Kislowski needs to win. Busher needs to win. Gilliland needs to win. So you know, Harrison Burton needs to win. There's not going to be a lot of help that are going to be looking for McDowell because everyone else has either a teammate or themselves that needs to win a race. Um, but McDowell's definitely fast enough. Obviously Daytona 500 winner from last year um, finds himself usually in the right place at the right time. He usually avoids the big wreck. So I think McDowell, I, I don't know why I didn't have him originally written down on my overall list of eligible drivers. I guess I just skipped over him, uh, but you got to throw him on this list. Uh, McDowell will be my number four. My number four, I'm actually going to give it to the driver of the 43, and that is Eric Jones. His stats so far are kind of inconsistent at super speedways, but if you look at them, they've gotten better and better. 29th in the 500, which is because of a wreck, but 14th at Atlanta, 6th at Talladega, and 4th again at the second time we came out in Atlanta. And he probably should have won that Talladega race in the spring if I believe he just either made a bad block or bad judgment. I know it was his mistake, but he's up front, and He's probably one of the most underrated plate racers in the field. I know we use that term a lot, but I go back to other races. Remember, he won the July Daytona race for his first career win, and he probably should have won the spring Talladega race in 2020 if Ryan Blaney didn't just body him coming out of the dogleg. So Eric Jones, he's a sneaky good plate racer. I feel like he doesn't get a lot of attention when it comes to this style of racing. And don't be surprised if you see that 43, who is also another team like McDowell that's had a lot more speed than they're used to in years past. Yeah, I don't think Jones is a terrible pick. He didn't make my list. It just he seems like a guy that runs up front and gets caught up in the wreck at some point. Usually nothing of his doing. And I don't know. I just I can't picture that 43 in victory lane right now. But they've been quick for sure. And that's why this race is going to be so wide open is there's a lot of guys that have had a lot of speed. But Moving on to number three, a guy that has had a lot of speed recently, and I also very much like his teammate. Number three for me, as Dale Jr. would say, is Mr. Christopher Busher. Uh, Chris Busher has all of a sudden emerged the last month, been up front, been showing signs of, of running up front, having the speed to contend for wins, hasn't been able to get it done yet. We saw Richmond a couple weeks ago. Uh, he looked really, really fast. Uh, so I think Chris Busher is a guy that um, – just right now has a lot of momentum on his side. He's been he's been really kind of moving forward. That team seems to be growing. I don't really know what's going on with the six car, but at least the 17 has all of a sudden emerged as a potential, uh, you know, race winner, especially in a situation like this. Again, I like the aggressiveness of his teammate, Brad Keselowski, and who is also his owner. So he's got some good backup behind him to help try to get him to the postseason as well if the opportunity to win is in front of him. So I'll go 17 car Chris Busher for third. Chris Busher, I don't have on the list, though. It was very tempting to, especially because the past two or three weeks, he's had a lot of speed. However, they're just, like I said, they're just some guys on the list that I would personally take over Chris Busher, whether due to experience or just I trust him to win more than I do Busher. But number three on the list, you might even, you might not like this, but our friend Johnny might like this. Eric Almarola. Now, listen, <laughs> he finished fifth in the Daytona 500 earlier this year. 22nd at Atlanta, probably because of a wreck, 13th at Talladega, and then 8th in the second day to, in the second Atlanta race. So he always knows how to get up front at these play tracks. In fact, I believe most of the laps he's led this year 
have come at super speedways. And again, similar to Eric Jones, this is a guy that knows how to win at play tracks. I know he won that range shortened race for his first career win back in 2014, but should have won the 2018 Daytona 500. Austin Dillon didn't have tournament to the wall. The amount of Xfinity Series wins he's won at Daytona and Talladega with that pseudo petty team back in the Xfinity Series. So Almirola, this is a team. This is a driver that knows how to get it done at plate races. He's in a Ford. He's in a Stuart Haas Racing Ford, which, yes, yeah, Stuart Haas Racing, they're not as good as they used to be. But when it comes to the plate tracks, you can't even count out a guy like Cole Custer. Even he runs up on a lot in these plate tracks. Kevin Harvick, he's a decent play racer. And Almirola, you can make the argument, is the best play racer out of all four drivers for Stuart Haas Racing. So number three on my list, I'm going to give it to Eric Almirola. Yeah, number two for me is a guy that uh, – because I, I don't have much comment on Almirola. I, I don't see a lot of momentum out of Almirola. I just haven't really seen it all year. But moving forward to number two is a guy I have been very high on to win this race. Um, a guy that it just I, sometimes you just have a driver pop into your head and you take account of the situation where they're at, where they're racing. And this is the guy that pops in your head and says, this is where it's going to happen. And it's not necessarily who I'm predicting to win the race, even though that's probably who I'll throw out as my favorite underdog pick, even though he is not number one on this list, because I've tried to be very realistic when I made this list. Number two on my list is the 2012 Cup champion, Brad Keselowski. Brad Keselowski is one of the best plate drivers in the entire field. I don't know how many wins he's got. He's got four or five plate wins between Daytona and Talladega. Uh, I think most of them are Talladega, though. Um, Keselowski is feisty. He does not have a care in the world. This is his own car. He's not thinking about bringing home anything. He doesn't care if he's upside down crossing the finish line as long as he's in first to win this race. That is all he cares about. And I have a feeling that you're going to see that six car do a lot of crazy things to try to win this race. Now, that may be the, to his detriment. We've seen drivers do that. Um, who My honorable mention, who I'm going to give in a second, we've seen a guy be like that before, and it ended up costing you more than it helped you. Um, but Keselowski is a great plate race driver, very aggressive. This is it. He knows this is it. Uh, they were very fast at the plate track early in February. Now, a lot of things um, in February, obviously, the series is different now, but – Keselowski's always fast. Those RFK cars have been fast whenever they hit the plate track. So number two on my list, Brad Keselowski. Me and you have the exact same number two. Number two, I'm giving it also to Brad Keselowski. Ninth of the Daytona 500 earlier this year, also leading the most laps. 12th in the first Atlanta race, 23rd at Talladega, but also 18th. So he's at least able to stay in the top half of the field, and you just took the words right out of my mouth for the most part. He's won, I believe, six races at Talladega, he won, he's got one cup win at Daytona, but he knows how to get it done in this style of racing. He's one of the most aggressive drivers in the field. And when push comes to shove, you know that he's going to do what he has to do to cross that checkered flag first. RFK is always one of the strongest teams when it comes to these types of, this type of racing. Ford is probably the strongest manufacturer when it comes to this type of racing. If Kozlowski can keep his car clean and if cards fall the right way, if he can basically do what he did at Daytona besides mitigating all those mistakes – you could very well easily see that six-car victory lane at the end of Saturday night or Sunday whenever we get this race in. Oh, 100%. You don't have to convince me. Before I give number one, honorable mention is Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, the reason I'm off of Ricky now is I just feel like for, for many years I bought into Kevin Harvick being this plate race car, you know, this great plate racer, and then Kevin Harvick just never did anything. Stenhouse is becoming the same guy. He had that two- or three-year span where he was one of the best on the plate tracks. Uh, and then he would end up wrecking himself or something happens. I kind of feel like that bubble is over for him. 
He's going to be really aggressive. He may be up fast. Don't be surprised if he leads laps. But I kind of feel like the Ricky Stenhouse plate train has kind of passed us all. So he's my honorable mention. Did not make the top five list. Number one, I think this is everybody's number one. This is the most obvious number one. I will be shocked if he is not your number one. And that is the driver of the number 23 Toyota for 2311, Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace has been blazing fast uh, at plate tracks pretty much as really the last two or three years. They've had great speed in the race car in the last month or so. They fell off their top 10 streak, but overall, that team has been faster. Um, from, from, from start to finish, the 23 car has been in a much better position through the race. They finally started to fix their pit crew woes, which, again, doesn't need to cost them this Saturday. They're not going to make the playoffs. But Bubba Wallace, one of the best plate racers in the field. Uh, you know, sometimes you're, you're curious if their luck is going to run out at these plate races, but we'll roll the dice one more time. And my favorite guy to bust open the playoffs and shock the field is Bubba Wallace in the number 23 car. Once again, we have the exact same top two to Brad Kozowski. Number one, again, I'm giving it to Bubba Wallace. Second of the Daytona 500. Probably should have won the race if he had just a couple more feet. What did he have? He had a streak of like four or five straight top three finishes at play tracks. He hasn't been the great, hasn't the finishes he's probably deserved, a 13th in Atlanta, 14th in the second Atlanta race, and a 17th at Talladega, but it's Bubba Wallace. He, I think we could say with confidence, at this current moment, he probably is the best plate racer in the field because he's the only one throughout the past two years that has always been up front and always been in contention. So Bubba Wallace, he's my number one, he's your number one. I'm pretty sure he's going to be majority of people's number ones. I'm going to stop talking about it, because it's pretty self-explanatory. Number one on my list, I'm also giving it to Bubba Wallace. Big facts. All right, and that is our that is our top five list, top five drivers who can burst the playoff grid. Weren't you telling me yesterday that I need to stop doing rankings, and here we are doing a ranking? Dude, if people don't know Armani like I know Armani, this cat ranks everything. This dude will sit there and be on the phone and be like, Rank your top five cereals. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not doing ranking cereals at 3.30 in the afternoon. Hey, who doesn't love a good old ranking once in a while? Oh, yeah. You got to have them. Exactly. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry, unless you got anything else you want to say. Uh, nothing. I, you know, I'm looking forward to Daytona. I know you're going. Um, I hope you have a great time. I wouldn't mind it being on Sunday. That way I could go to the dirt track on Saturday and call the race, and I'm announcing this week. And then I could enjoy a nice cup race on Sunday. But either way, I hope it's a banger. I hope we get some excitement. My gut tells me somebody like a Joey Logano is going to end up winning the freaking race, and it's going to kind of kill all the buzz. But up until that moment, it's going to be exciting, and someone is going to bust open the playoffs, hopefully. Well, we'll have to wait and see Saturday night or Sunday. Well, thank you once again for coming on to the podcast. We'll be hearing more of you for the entirety of next week, actually, both Tuesday and Thursday, which, by the way, for all you guys listening, keep an eye out for Tuesday's episode. Not only will Will be coming on, but also Johnny on the track and Tyler from Vanilla Wafers. We're going to have a giant episode on Tuesday. You don't want to miss that out. Let's do it. All right, and that's going to do it for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you guys want to listen to all previous episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can search us up on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. You can find all previous 77 episodes. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.